This episode is sponsored by Silknodes, your validator in the Cosmos ecosystem. Centralization in Cosmos is a huge issue. For example, do you know how many nodes it takes to hold an major network on Cosmos? For Cosmos Hub and Osmosis, it's only six nodes. For Juno Network, it's eight nodes, and for Stargate Zone, it's only 10 nodes. This is a major issue for blockchain to ever go mainstream. To solve this, we need you to delegate or redelegate to smaller validators. Silknodes is a great, relatively small validator that validates blocks on major networks like Cosmos, Juno, Osmosis, Epmos, and more. So go and delegate to Silknodes today and help blockchain become truly decentralized. That's our time. So welcome everyone to the Cosmos Club, where we talk all things Cosmos. We tweet daily about everything that's happening in the Cosmos ecosystem. And then we invite interesting, fascinating, and inspiring guest who is building the Cosmos ecosystem. And today we got you, Dave, from NIM. Welcome to the club. Hey, thanks. I'm very happy to be here. Great. So uh, let me just mute my computer there. Sorry for that. Um, so just for the uninitiated and while people are settling in, maybe you can just uh, briefly explain what is NIM and why do people need to pay attention here? Sure. So NIM is a privacy project that is part of the Cosmos ecosystem. We use uh, Cosmos validators. And the basis of the project is essentially we have two privacy technologies. The first um, privacy technology and the one that um, is maybe the one we're most that most people think of when they think of, of NIM so far is something called a mixnet. And a mixnet, we can get into the details in, in the greater in more gory detail if we want as we go through the call, but at a high level, it's sort of like a successor to Tor. So Tor is a uh, probably has been thus far, I would say, probably the best privacy system for network privacy that exists. NIM has uh, the NIM mixnet has somewhat similar goals, but the implementation is different and it gives you somewhat different privacy properties. Um, so that's, but that's one thing is protect people's network traffic. So that's obviously not a blockchain thing by itself because blockchains can't protect your network traffic. So at NIM, what we've been working on is we've built a system of nodes that will relay traffic for people, uh, a client that will take your network traffic and then packetize it and send it through all the different nodes uh, in a different way than Tor, which gives you somewhat different and we think better privacy properties. And um, then the directory of those nodes and which nodes that it's it's uh, you know it's viable to use uh, are stored in the blockchain basically. And that the, that system of nodes has also its own economic system with staking. Uh, so that the idea is, um, in contrast to Tor, uh, so Tor has sort of a centralized directory system. It's like you run a Tor node and then you ask the Tor people, hey, can I? is my node in? And they say, yes, we will include you in our directory. So it has a sort of centralized aspect to it, despite the fact that the nodes are run by different people. NIM is an attempt to do somewhat the same thing with a different node topology and a different technology generally, but the, the goal of the system is broadly speaking the same. Um, but it's also an attempt to make that system into a fully decentralized system such that anyone can join. And then there's a staking system to say, cool, this person looks like they know what they're doing. They provide good quality of service. Um, they, we, we, we think that they're not the NSA, you know, uh, and uh, therefore we're going to stake on, on this node uh, that will then relay traffic and to provide um, network privacy when, when people want to send their network traffic through it. So that's, that's the first technology, broadly speaking, is the mixnet. The second um, privacy technology that we're also working on 
which is in a, uh, it's not quite out there yet, but it's a zero knowledge credential system called Coconut. Um, and what that system does, it doesn't have anything to do with network privacy, but it has to do more with, uh, in some ways, with on-chain privacy. Uh, so it's a way of um, having a set of validators attest to, to some fact. It could be, you know, this person is the owner of this account, or it could be this person has uh, deposited some amount of uh, token value inside a, inside a contract, for example. Uh, and then you can get back a credential, which acts as a bearer token, which allows you to then um, can be you can you can take that out of the system, uh, and then you can do something called re-randomization, which allows you to um, turn that token into a brand new, uh, turn that credential into a brand new credential, and then you could redeem it, and no one would be able to track the fact that the the the, the system had issued you with you know a token in its original form. If when you when you re-randomize it, you can then present it to someone and it can't be traced, it cuts the link between where you got it from and where you're redeeming it. And that, that gives you um, the ability to write um, new kinds of privacy systems, I would say, that, are, mm -hmm. that haven't yet really been ever deployed anywhere uh, by almost anybody, really. So this, I think it's a, it's a, that, that, I think, is um, just as important as the MixNet, uh, and I think it will have a big impact on the privacy sphere in the Cosmos ecosystem uh, more generally over the next uh, couple of years, I would say. Beautiful. And we'll definitely dive more into the weeds cool. of uh, Mixnet and the, the technical setup, but perhaps just taking a step back, because when I was reading up on NIM, it was pretty obvious that this is not just a technology project that just came up, popped up uh, last week. Like you guys have been building, hardworking at this uh, for quite some time. And I can yeah. see Harry also joined in on the space. And I think it's quite an interesting story uh, that made up uh, NIM originally. Uh, perhaps you can speak more to this. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, earlier we were saying, you're asking me, you know, where are you? And I, well, I'm in the UK. Uh, so when I originally moved to the UK uh, 20 years ago, uh, I, I met this uh, guy around town. I, moved, I had moved to Cambridge and, um, you know, we became friends, uh, This, this, uh, my friend George. And uh, he was a PhD student at the time. And I was uh, asking him, I said, you know, George, I'm a coder. You're a coder. Like, what is your PhD on? And he said, well, I'm trying to build this thing called a MixNet. And I was like, oh, what's that? And he said, well, think of it as a way that if, um, if some entity, let's say God, was recording all of the traffic on the entire internet. And I said, well, that's pretty ridiculous, but don't worry about that. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, and he said, uh, what I'm trying to do is allow you and me to communicate or uh, people using the system, many thousands of people hopefully using the system to communicate and even if you could record all of the traffic between every physical machine on the internet as they travel through the fiber optic cables of, of the world, that no one would be able to tell that I am communicating with you. And what I said to George when he explained this to me was, well, you're, you're probably going to fail your PhD because that seems like a, an impossible ask to me. That seems like a, <laughs> something that you could never really do. And he said, well, no, here's how you do it. And he explained the basis of a mixnet. So in some sense... This, for me, hilariously, this this project is actually like uh, a, a decade and a half later, we started to actually build this thing. And, um, you, you know, that's like, so yeah, so for my own, I don't know, I wouldn't say involvement, um, but my, certainly my, my awareness of this technology is it really extends far, far greater than the NIM project itself. Uh, and 
the project as a project is about four years old and it is, yeah, the culmination of many, you know, many person years or even decades of research uh, among the, the, the team that is like working on it full time and a sort of slightly larger group of people that are also associated with the project that uh, have been working on this technology uh, at, you know, quite serious uh, computer security people who have been working in this, in this field for a long time. So one of them is, uh, uh, my friend George Denisis, who uh, invented the Sphinx packet format, which is what we use for the MixNet, and worked on the Lupix um, system, which is also the basis of the MixNet, and was also in, uh, invented or was a co-inventor of the um, coconut credentials that I was talking about, Is that is the credential system. And then his buddy, Claudia, who uh, he collaborated on with all, for a lot of the basic work for this technology as well, is, is, uh, is our chief scientist in the project. And again, she's been working on this stuff since the early 2000s. Um, and and uh, yeah, Harry has been involved in privacy technology and technology more generally at the W3C and other places like that for a long time. So the kind of core team uh, is like those people, uh, as well as uh, Anya Petrovska, who uh, uh, was George's uh, PhD student who collaborated with him on the production of the Lupix privacy system, which is basically our mixnet. And... Um, uh, finally, uh, in in the founding team as well, uh, Jensre Staczynski is uh, was George's uh, master's student who did his thesis on coconut, the credential system. So there's a there's a, a pretty um, high powered team of our original founders. Uh, I'm not uh, in the kind of academic sphere of things. I, I, I'm I'm much more on the software delivery side of things. So my, my job is like take uh, with with relatively limited resources try to make uh, you know the best decisions i can to get this thing out the door and make it work basically so that's my sort of contribution i was about to say like this is pretty cutting edge and novel technology that is almost like a research project um so perhaps you can speak to like how so you you are more on the product side and and you know hands on engineering where yeah. people are actually using the product so perhaps uh, yeah. you could talk to how how you transition that because mixnets We'll get into sort of comparison to other technologies in a minute, but mixness are, to many people, I think, still a very theoretical uh, concept. Yeah, sure. And in fact, uh, hilariously, uh, the, when when I first showed uh, uh, George uh, a year ago or so, uh, I was like, "Hey, George, look at this! I'm streaming YouTube video through your, through through the mixnet that you invented a uh, long time ago." And he, he what he actually said was. Um, First, that's impossible. And I said, no, 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 I'm really doing it. Check it out. And then um, he was like, wow. Uh, at some point last year, he said to me, you know, I didn't really expect anybody to be actually deploying these things till like the mid 2030s. I thought this would be when I was an old man, but uh, but actually he's, he's quite thrilled that we managed to actually uh, get it off the ground uh, a, a decade or so early, or maybe a decade and a half earlier than he thought it would, would become a thing. So Mixnets are, have been... Um, controversial in the in the network security community or the network um, basically people thought up until now that it was uh, a technology that was like theoretically super cool but which probably was not yet practical and we're, we're we're just operating at the kind of edge of practicality i would say in terms of the what we can provide but i am i've been um, pleasantly surprised by what we've managed to squeeze out of it thus far. And we have a whole load of um, usability and performance optimizations that we can uh, apply at this point that we're actively working on right now to, uh, to speed it up and, uh, you know, increase throughput, reduce latency, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so do you want to get into the, like, what is the mix then? How does it work or? 
Yeah, so I think when I was doing research and just talking to people about this, this uh, makes this as a technology and a new, upcoming, super, almost groundbreaking technology, really. Um, a lot of people were telling me, well, think of it as VPN, just much more secure. You mentioned Tor already, but that's I think yeah. that's a reference point a lot of people have when they think about mixed nets. Yeah, so if we if we think about the the kind of the 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 kind of progression of like what you can do to protect your own network security. So the first thing you might do is, like you say, use a VPN. So a VPN uh, basically makes a tunnel, and it um, it will make your requests through the VPN, and in that way. You know, you you protect yourself against your local ISP, or if you know you're on a cafe internet or something like that, it's always a good idea to use a VPN because then the the, the cafe can't be messing with you or like doing anything really negative. The downside of a VPN, although they work really well, is that you're only really moving the point of trust. You still have a single point of trust, and the single point of trust you move from the ISP that you you might have in your house or the cafe that you're in or the hotel or whatever you're wherever you are. And you move that point of trust to the VPN provider who acts as a sort of honeypot in a way uh, for like, wow, you know, I would really like privacy right now. So I'll just move my point of trust to this one place where I have to trust somebody else where it acts as a kind of almost as a collector in, in a sense for like anybody who might want to to monitor you. So in True. that sense, it's not, you know, it, it feels good, but it's also a little bit um uh, it's it's certainly not the perfect answer to um, to the problem of how do I protect myself uh, against anybody who might want to eavesdrop on my traffic or find out who I'm talking to or yeah. uh, that sort of thing because it, it really just moves that single point of trust one one layer deeper if you want to say so that's yeah. the comparison I would say to a VPN um, if we compare NIM or MixNet generally to Tor then uh, Tor has a much better story there, obviously. So Tor is a circuit-based system. It has a bunch of nodes that are run uh, and they, they're, they're, you know, they shouldn't collude with each other. And that's like a, that's a point of honor that you don't do that in the Tor community. So you run your nodes and it's, you can think of um, Tor in some ways as a kind of distributed VPN, if you want to think of it in that, in that way. So you, just like a VPN, uh, your TCP traffic, let's say goes from your computer uh, it, so let's let's go back to a VPN. Uh, when you make a let's say uh, I don't know an HTTP request, so the request goes from your computer to uh, to the VPN uh, service, and the VPN service makes the request for you, returns whatever you get, whatever they get, and then they just return that down the pipe to you. And you, and it's a circuit-based system. Think of it like a like a garden hose almost. It that connects you and the VPN provider, and that you know then they make the request for on your behalf. Yeah, hmm. with Tor. That you get the same sort of thing, except Tor has multiple hops that your traffic goes through. So again, it's like a garden hose. You a garden hose goes from your computer in your home to uh, the Tor entry node, goes through the Tor uh, nodes, the relays, goes out the exit node. They make the request for you, and it comes back. So that's much better than a VPN, and it's it has been, I think, the and is you know practically still the best thing that you can do to protect your privacy on the internet at the moment because it, it, it doesn't suffer from the problem that a VPN has, which is this single point of trust that you have to give, because as your traffic goes through the Tor relays, it, it, it's breaking up like the, uh, the, um, the connection that, between, that somebody might make between, oh, it's this person making this request, and you're, you're at least going through several hops. And by the time it hits the Tor exit node to like make the request on your behalf, you're cool. Like the, the, the entry node doesn't know what you're doing basically. So it's not like it's much better than a VPN. So, yeah, yeah so that's, that's, uh, that's the kind of VPN versus Tor comparison in a nutshell, I would say. 
Now, Makes sense. Yeah. So the TOR is a, a somewhat um, older technology in some ways. The, the research was done slightly earlier than, um, than some of the, the, the MixNet stuff, although MixNets themselves do have a history that goes back to the 1980s as a theoretical concept. Um, the difference now between, let's say, a MixNet and TOR is an interesting one. Go back to that garden hose uh, analogy that I was that I was using. The reason I, I said the word garden hose is because um, the connection that you have is what's called a circuit-based connection. So you may you establish a circuit. So it goes from let's say your house to the Tor entry node to the Tor node to the Tor node to the Tor node, like the, and it's the same Tor nodes every time as you go as you establish one circuit. So all your traffic goes through let's say five nodes. Okay that are like you establish a circuit and those act as a relay for you. And that's how your traffic kind of travels from your house through the network and then out to the internet. Now, this goes back to the, to the, the thing that George was saying to me a long time ago, which is if you, are, if you have God watching the network, it is entirely possible that um, if someone has the capability to record the traffic as it travels between those nodes, you can think of the pattern of your traffic as, as it goes through those nodes, despite the fact that those nodes can't necessarily see the content of what you're doing. Um, you can um, actually match up the entry traffic and the exit traffic if you can record everything between the nodes. Does that make sense? Mm. So if, if yeah. you think of a garden hose where, you, where your traffic is, you're, you're uh, sort of squeezing the water through the garden hose, that has a pattern, right? Yeah, yeah. Like your, let's say I make an, an HTTP request uh, it's a, a 542 byte request. So it's a get, get, uh, you know, google.com let's say, and mm -hmm. that goes through the system. Anybody recording the traffic can actually start to correlate. Okay, cool. We saw this 542 byte, uh, you know, bit of traffic enter the Tor network. We saw it actually travel between the nodes and then we saw it, um, make the request at the other end get made. And somebody at that moment in time record, like, asked for, you know, get uh, google.com slash, let's say that's the request. And then yeah. you, they can see the traffic coming back the other way down the circuit. So it, it ends up being almost like, if you think of um, Morse code of, of like a sort of squeezes of the garden hose as, as your traffic has a certain pattern that is unique to your session, right? Because it's a circuit-based thing. And so when George said this to me and I was mocking him for, for the, you know, saying, oh, well, that, that you're, that'll never work. The other, the second thing I said was, why would you ever want this? Because it's crazy to think that anybody would ever be able to record the entire traffic of the internet. So, um, so I, at the, the first time when, you know, his first response was, well, here's how a mixed network works, which I'll explain in a moment. And I was like, okay, maybe you won't fail your PhD. The second thing I said was, um, well, that's a, that's a nice academic egghead sort of theoretical project, but what, you know, no one is ever going to do that. It's impossible. So why, you know, it's, it's a kind of, you know, who cares in a way, it's a very academic sort of sounding problem. And I didn't mm -hmm. think that it would ever become operational. Um, fast forward to 2013 and uh, the Edward Snowden uh, yeah. revelations. And it, as it turns out that there are governments who have the capabilities to like actually <laughs> record the entirety of the internet and, yeah. um, like they can, they can keep the entire, the entirety of the internet in a buffer for 30 days. And then they can like analyze at, at, at their leisure, like whatever they want to, whatever they want to check out. Um, and these capabilities originally were the preserve of, you know, uh, only very powerful and well-resourced governments. 
but the you know as as technology uh, improves and and as different people want these kind of um, capabilities, this kind of um, uh, let's say breaking of your privacy is becoming more and more common. This capability is becoming um, easier and easier for people to um, uh, like do and practically as time goes by. So as it turns out. I was, I, I'm over two against George. So he was right that it was first a possible to have a system that would protect your privacy against the kind of what they call the global passive adversary. That is the person who can record the entirety of network traffic. And he was right when he said that this is a real, an actual real problem that really would be a, an operational problem in real life. Uh, and I was wrong on that one too. So just goes to show never, uh, never try to outsmart that guy. Let's take a quick break here from today's sponsor. Checked is a trusted data network that enables individuals and organizations to take back control of their data. Based on blockchain technology, Checked is built upon public permissionless network secured and governed by their own token, the Check token. Checked's permissionless network provides the payment rails, customizable commercial models, and governance structures for trusted data, including and not limited to self-sovereign identity making it easier for individuals and organizations to trust each other. No more data silos to be leaked or hacked. No more data sold without consent. And no more relationships and transactions without trust. For more information, visit check.io. That is check.io. Can you believe it's 10 years ago that Snowden leaked the yeah, uh, whistleblower, the, the whole scandal? It was, to me, it feels like it was yesterday, but I can only imagine what these big organizations, whether it be governmental institutions or just big organizations in general, what they're able to do today, 10 years after. I mean, yeah, it's scary to be, to be, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, so if you want the like really, really solid, really good network defenses, then yeah, you, you definitely want to make sure that, uh, you know, you... There are, there are lots of good reasons that you might want to have um, like solid privacy protections. And, you know, NIM is an answer to that problem, basically, for sure. Yeah. So why haven't we seen Mixnet's um, sort of wide adoption? Like, I think most people know about sure. VPN. That's a pretty sort of, we all know about these different uh, companies that uh, spam us mm -hmm. to oblivion uh, about their VPN solution. Many people in crypto, I would say, has heard about Tor uh, mm -hmm. and, and Silk Road. Like we have in crypto, we have sort of a history with Tor uh, in a sense, yep. but not that many people have heard about Mixnets. So, um, yeah, what, sure. What's the history there? So, so the main, the, yeah, the main, the main uh, thing holding um, holding back the Mixnets as a concept has always been um, the amount of computational power that is required to make them practical. That, that, that's the simple answer. So the, the way that the mixnet gets around this, uh, the, the the, like defeats the global passive adversary is it uses a really simple insight in one way, which is um, the global passive adversary can record, we assume, all of the traffic that goes between machines. So physically, the internet is like a physical thing. We think of it often as just being this kind of airy-fairy sort of, well, you know, it's, it, it's out there and it sort of exists, but actually, it's a bunch of like fiber optic cables that like physically connect uh, computers all over the world. There's a little bit of satellite action and um, the, but the links are the things that are vulnerable. So um, 
it is possible to like physically tap the fiber optic cables if you have the resources to do that. And, uh, and people clearly do have the resources to do those things. Um, and, or if you're running enough uh, data centers, you can also um, certainly at least get uh, like large fractions of traffic as they travel through your system. And you may be able to do some stuff with that. So the insight is cool. The links are vulnerable, but our computers are our own. So the way that Mixnets work is um, we're like, cool, it's all right if you record all the traffic on the links between the nodes, but the nodes are opaque to the observer. And that's the main assumption, is that they haven't rooted every computer on the planet, and therefore we have mm. the capability to be free within our own computational environment, right? <laughs> so the way that the, the, and this goes back to this, now this goes back to the, the question of like, why have Mixnets thus far been somewhat impractical? Um, the main reason is uh, the way that the mix the, the way the, the mixnets function, and I'll talk primarily about our mixnets. Other mixnets work similarly. There's some di different implementation details that are you know interesting, but beyond the scope of our conversation here, probably. Um, yeah. So let's say I want to I want to send you a file, right? And uh, I want to send it such that even if the global passive adversary is recording all of the the all of the every TCP packet that goes between uh, our two computers that the global passive adversary cannot see that it's me and you talking. The first assumption is we have a system uh, that is not just comprised of me and you. So that we have a saying, uh, privacy loves company. So if you have multiple people who are using the system first, um, we, we can see that people connect to the system, but we want to make it such that um, any observer of the system can't tell who's talking to who. So that's the first assumption. There's a crowd of people that you're in, okay? This, the, the, next, the, the thing that we do is um, I start to send the file to you. Now, rather than establishing a stream, like a, a kind of circuit-based protocol that goes from my computer to, let's say, the Tor entry node through the Tor system, uh, takes the same five computers, uh, and doesn't pad the you know the the traffic at all and then we can see that time wise it exits you know in a in a fairly predictable way um it, with tor it is actually quite possible to do these kind of end-to-end -end attacks they're called so how do we how do we negate end-to-end -end attackers who can who can record the whole system what we do is as a, instead of uh, me sending like i don't know a stream of unencrypted tcp packets through through this kind of stream or even encrypted ones that have like certain characteristics that are, they're a certain size and all of that um let's say i have a uh i don't know a 100 kilobyte file that i'm going to send you we can packetize that into um packets and just for argument's sake let's say the packet size is 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 1k it's not but let's just let's just say that it was uh, just so we can talk about it um so instead of me sending uh, something that is exactly i don't know uh 1 megabyte or sorry 100k worth of um worth of file we, instead we chop that into um a bunch of chunks and we each of those chunks are something called a sphinx packet okay so that is um, a packet, which is an armored packet, which has some routing information in it. And every Sphinx packet is exactly the same size as every other Sphinx packet conceptually. So uh, it has a known size and we've chopped up our, um, our file that I want to, our information that I want to send to you into a bunch of Sphinx packets. And we can add a little bit of padding as well to each of those such that the, the actual, like the actual number of bytes that I'm sending you is not really observable. So does that, first off, does that make sense? First, we do this choppy choppy uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, and I think uh, for people, just for reference, we did a, a, a short thread on uh, NIM. Uh, in when we link to the space, you can scroll down the tweet thread, and we have like this image, which at least I find quite uh, uh, make it easier for me to at least have something uh, illustrative that uh, I can point to where you can see the mixnet with uh, different nodes and all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, cool. So uh, so I've so my client on my computer does this job of chopping up the, the information that I want to send to you. Um, we then send those packets into the mixnet. Uh, the interesting thing is each of those packets, rather than us me sending a stream that goes like from one node to the next, you know, the, to the same three nodes all the time, the packets actually we ha we're running right now a mix a mixnet of about seven hundred nodes, of which about two hundred and forty are active, and we actually can send the packet, these packets independently through each route. Um, so rather than uh, like with Tor, maybe, maybe my, maybe if I was sending you this file, maybe it would go through five Tor nodes and it would, and that would, and the entire file would transmit through the same five Tor nodes. Um, mm -hmm. With a mixnet, instead, we chop it up into these packets and we disperse the packets through, uh, you know, hundreds of, of mix of mix nodes first, which probably gives you a little bit of protection in the sense that it may be harder to monitor those things in different locations or whatever. But that's not the thing that gives you the privacy though. What gives you the privacy is that, uh, and this is this goes back to the computational problem that we have, um, for every packet, we actually, you pick your computer, my, well, my computer in this case, because I'm sending you the file, my computer, as it makes a makes a sphinx packet it actually derives a key and it makes a shared key with the public key of each of the nodes that it's going to send this pa uh, uh, this packet through and let's say there's three hops that it's going to go through the mixnet okay mm -hmm. um each at each layer uh if you think of like russian dolls these kind of nested dolls i'm sure you've seen them that you you know you you open up one and there's another one inside and then you open yeah. up another one and there's another one inside it's like that um, with a key for each to open each one of those um, things, such that only the mix node that I'm sending this Russian doll through um, can, is that that's the only thing that could possibly open that that packet. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah. It's yeah. it's like having envelopes inside of envelopes if you want to you, if you want to think of it another way. Right. Um, what that means practically is that I need to do a key derivation at each one of those stages for every packet that I'm going to send. Um, and that's a very computationally intensive process. It's now become, we're, we're, we've written this thing in Rust. It's efficient. Uh, we're, we're like, we're making, we're actually working right now to make it more efficient and like uh, make it, make it faster. But that's really the thing that has held Mixnets back, I would say, is that amount of computation that needs to be done in order to make it, um, to, to do that. The privacy property that this gives you, though, are quite amazing. So each mix node in the system, all it knows is it, uh, that it has received a, a Sphinx packet. It has no information about where it came from. It knows that it is the same as other, every other Sphinx packet that it has ever received. And it knows that when it receives a Sphinx packet, it has to look in the header, um, like because there's a little bit of unencrypted header information. It goes, cool. There's a there's a a bit of key material there. It actually the mixnet the mix node itself also has to generate a key in order to unwrap that that Sphinx packet. Like take open the Russian doll, uh, and then it goes cool. The only thing it gets is another Russian doll and an address to send that Russian doll to, mm -hmm. and then it sends that Russian doll. So there's no um, session based key 
for the, the that it can look at. There's no way for it to relate this, let's say, uh, one kilobyte of information that it received. It can't distinguish that one kilobyte of information from any other piece of information that it's ever received, any other Sphinx packet it's ever received. So if I send even a thousand Sphinx packets through the same mix node, because I, I don't know, I, I, I hacked the system so that I wasn't using the whole system. I was just picking like one node all the time. It would have absolutely no way of determining that um, it was receiving these packets from the same sender. So it's extreme uh, privacy, which, which is based on a lot of key derivations, basically. Yeah. Let's take a quick break here from today's sponsor. Gelato is a luck-based gaming platform that offers lottery games for various assets accessible on Cosmos using IBC. The prizes and lottery tickets are paid in all kinds of native Cosmos coins, such as Atom, Osmo, Juno, Secret, Stars, and of course, Gelato's own token, GLTO. Shortly after launching their lottery game, Gelato plans to add more games of chance, such as Blackjack and Slots ultimately building an online casino in the cosmos. For more information, visit gelato.io. That is gelato.io. Basically. Yeah. Awesome, Dave. There's a lot of technical details to uh, to sort out, and it's uh, near impossible to sort out just over a space. So uh, what I sure, encourage... Cool. Uh, yeah. What I encourage people to do is uh, go on uh, NimTech. Uh, you guys have really done a good job, I think, just documenting and explaining what this technology really is. It, it really does, from just the surface of it, uh, from afar, it really sounds uh, very novel and uh, perhaps even groundbreaking and something that this world needs. And it's only going to get worse from here. So uh, the fact that you guys are delivering this is just a, a really big step in the right direction, it seems. Thanks. Thanks. I, I'm, I, I find it really uh, exciting in the sense that these days, when I think about how much, um, how much of my life actually takes place over computer networks, I mean, it used to be the case that, you know, very little of it did, but now like the amount of my communication that goes over the internet yeah. is like, it's probably the majority of the amount of people that I talk to in a day. I probably yeah. talk to more people online these days than I do in person. And there's more, I leave a, a larger data trail everywhere that I go than 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 I would have ever thought possible, you know, years ago. So, like, it's a, it is, I think, an important um, set of social issues that that we're trying to solve, and um, it also, I think, helps to keep uh, to just protect ourselves in in a in an increasingly dangerous network environment. So, I'm uh, that I do find the mixnet, yeah, really exciting. Definitely, and it's only going to get worse from here, probably. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not. It's, for sure. But, but I want to shift gears a little bit from uh, NIM as a product. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to sum up, actually, uh, so you guys have the uh, NIM wallet, you have the mm -hmm. NIM connect functionality, which, uh, again, on a high level, it, it sounds and feels like a, almost like a VPN kind of solution where you can interact with mixnets and uh, stay private. And then you got components where developers can start integrating with, uh, with, with NIM and, and, and your, your solution. Correct. But then there is a Nix blockchain, and yep. obviously, being the Cosmos Club, sure, I have to ask the question: Why build a blockchain in the first place? And uh, a quick follow-up is: Why Cosmos SDK? Which obviously we're big fans of, but uh, we have to ask. Sure, of course, yeah, and I'm happy to happy to answer it because I love Cosmos actually. So, the simple answer for uh, why why do we need a blockchain? 
is because we do want to have this decentralized system of nodes rather than one where we we say here's the directory and here here are the mixed nodes and the main um, the main reason for that is actually a, a reason of scalability. So we we we're, we would like to provide a system that can scale up or scale down uh, in, in response to demand. And this goes back to the kind of economics of of our system uh, and the openness of the system. So Tor has a certain if you're running a Tor node and you are running a Tor node because you're a good person and you think you believe in privacy, which which I think is great, and um, you are willing to contribute uh, processing power and bandwidth to to do that job, essentially as a volunteer uh, project because it's a social good. This is a, a very admirable um, thing, and I would never dem denigrate that. But it does end up having certain limitations. That is. There are maybe 5,000 people running Tor nodes right now. And if tomorrow morning the, the internet gets much more paranoid, um, there are still only going to be 5,000 people who are running Tor nodes. So because there isn't like, a, like you might get a little bit of a bump of like there may be some, some more people want to volunteer some, some uh, processing power. But in general, the system isn't designed to scale up and down in response to shifts in demand. Um, and that's what we've tried to build uh, in, with the NIM MixNet is uh, at the moment, we're still in a kind of, um, we're proving out the technology, we're filing off the rough edges, making it convenient to build, uh, build, integrate your software against, and there's still some challenges there, but it's coming along nicely. Um, but the main reason we have the blockchain is because we also have an economic system, uh, mainly done by uh, Claudia and uh, by Agalos, who uh, worked on Cardano actually. Um, mm. and, uh, that economic system is designed so that when there's more demand for privacy services like this, that there's a, an interest rate effectively that changes and incentivizes people to more, to run more NIM nodes, more NIM mixnet infrastructure to, uh, because the rewards go up and therefore people are like, oh, wow, geez, I can make some rewards there. I'd like to, I'd like to run some, some of these NIM mix nodes uh, and that therefore I can both make some money uh, to support the service and uh, I, the system itself as a whole will scale up in response to shifts in demand. And then just as important, if there's less demand as well, you don't want to be having people running, you know, useless nodes and actually having very sparse, thin um, traffic going through these nodes. You want to have very like high, high usage of the nodes that are, are running in the system. So when demand decreases, the economic system basically says, okay, cool. Actually, people, we don't really need everybody to be running this many nodes anymore. So we're going to reduce the reward uh, rate. And therefore, we expect that people, and they do, uh, will start shutting their nodes off because actually it's no longer economical to run them. And then the system contracts to a point where it is where everything evens out with demand. And at that point, um, in a decentralized way, the system is sort of self-governing and can like make its own decisions about like how much capacity is needed and how to incentivize more nodes or less nodes based on the, the needs of the system. So that's where the blockchain part comes in. So that's why Makes we need sense. one. Um, concretely speaking, the place where you interact with the blockchain the most as a, as a kind of, um, as, a, as a user, let's say you're using NimConnect or something, when you uh, start NimConnect up, it actually has to download a full list of all Nim mix nodes uh, that are in the system that have been staked on, uh, that have enough stake to be in what we call the active set. So the, the, the really good nodes that you want to use uh, for this epoch. And then you get a full list and then your client will automatically send your, your traffic through the nodes that are determined to be offering the best quality of service at this time. So that's the, the really the blockchain acts as a kind of directory of these mixed nodes. That's the, the function of it. And also 
as a de has this decentralized economic system that's also a component part of it. So that's why we have a blockchain. As far as Beautiful. why we picked Cosmos, now that's another interesting story. So um, the way I got involved originally with blockchain stuff was uh, I was working uh, to build uh, uh, a sharding system. Uh, and mm -hmm. we, uh, this is on an earlier project. That's, I, I, maybe I won't go into that right now because it's, it's not directly related maybe. Um, but when I was working on that, I also got involved with a project called Vega, which is another, it's a Tendermint project. It's not strictly mm. speaking a Cosmos project, but uh, those guys are building a decentralized derivatives exchange is the, is the, the, the project that they've got. And this was back in 2018. And as a result of the kind of uh, blockchain work that I'd already done on, on another project, um, we, we looked at this uh, and we said, well, okay, cool. What are our practical possibilities here? And from our perspective, the only things that could have even worked technically at all at the time were either Tendermint or Ethereum. Uh, when it came to Ethereum, it's like you could theoretically, I suppose, run a, a decentralized derivatives exchange on Ethereum uh, in 2018. Man, it would have been expensive. It would have been super <laughs> slow, and it, we we we're just like, okay, that would that just seems crazy to try to do that. Like the the cost of running um, a system like that on Ethereum in 2018 would have been absolutely insane. So yeah. I had already been experimenting with Tendermint, and so we defined a Tendermint-based architecture for Vega, um, which everyone has been like thrilled with the entire the entire project. Basically, Tendermint works super well as a basis. Uh, even in 2018, it worked super well as a basis for building um, relatively high speed, like compared to other blockchain, um, you know, systems, uh, relatively high speed systems with relatively low latency, high throughput. And, um, you know, it just it just works. It's just it's just great, basically. So yeah. when it came to building NIM uh, uh, a year later, then it was uh, by that point, Cosmos had kind of matured and we started in pure Tendermint land. And then as Cosmos really started to become like, um, you know, more and more advanced in the capabilities that it offered, I was like, okay, we definitely need to use um, all of the, all of the stuff defined by the Cosmos SDK. Cause you know, it's otherwise you have to build it yourself. And that's just, you know, there's just no reason to do that. So there's massive benefits to um, the way Cosmos is architected. And to me, those benefits are, uh, just the wealth of, of code and knowledge that's already available that's kind of pre-built and ready ready to use off the shelf. Uh, the performance characteristics of it are excellent. The reliability of it is excellent. And also the fact that you can then, um, you know, more recently collaborate in a big ecosystem of blockchains where, you know, every, every, everybody has their own thing that they're doing, but we can all interoperate because of IBC. This has really been just a dream uh, like technical environment to work in. And unlike a lot of other, um, you know, blockchain uh, ecosystems, the, the sort of vaporware percentage in the, in the Cosmos ecosystem is very low by comparison, I would say, with lots of other, lots of other places. So I've been absolutely thrilled uh, to work uh, in the Cosmos ecosystem. I think it's great. It's really reassuring to, uh, to just listen to you and talk to you about, uh, you know, someone that is so deeply into the weeds of technology and yeah, development in general uh, speak so highly of Cosmos. I've, I myself has been a developer for many, many years, and that's also why I came to Cosmos. I, I came for the tech and I stayed for the tech, really. Um, yeah. It's very reassuring, I think. The, the vision, the kind of like 
sort of more like a, more of more like the World Wide Web in a way. It's like you don't need to. Um, I don't know. In in other ecosystems, it sometimes feels as if well, you have to you have to kind of um, like accept so much from uh, f- from the ecosystem itself. Like it really dictates how you're going to do things in a way mm. that Cosmos has much more freedom to define. Okay, I'm, I want to have my own set of validators. I want to maybe hack them in this in certain ways, but they can still interoperate. Uh, I want to have weird new capabilities that that uh, other systems don't have, and yet you still retain the benefits of a sort of standardize a model of communication between these things uh it's that's it's just for me the perfect uh it's it's uh, i can't imagine anything that would make me go um you know that would lure me into another ecosystem it's very difficult to think of what that would be right on yeah and when i was talking to uh, your team just off air uh, maybe it was you i don't know the the main account at least um we're talking a bit about the next chain and uh, how you guys are going public uh, with uh, what your team called anonymous credentials or CK yeah. NIMS, yeah. which is which is enabling quote unquote interchain privacy. Yeah, interchain anything in Cosmos right now is super hot, right? <laughs> Anyone uh, in Cosmos gets excited when they hear the word interchain. But uh, yeah, perhaps you can talk more about the interchain privacy that you guys are working on. Sure, sure. So. So I had a choice um, when it came to building this directory for the NIM blockchain. And the, the, the first choice that I had was, should I write this in Go? And should I do it in the normal, um, let's call it the normal uh, Cosmos SDK development kind of way where you, you, we could have expressed all of this directory stuff that I was talking about in the economic system and all, all of that part as a Go module that we built into the validator. That would have been... Uh, at the time, to be honest, that might have been the most rational kind of way to have structured this thing. Um, But if you do that, every time you want to make a sort of software change, uh, you you have to do a lot of coordination between validators to like like redeploy your software, if that makes sense. So just for speed of development, I started to look at Cosmwasm. And so we, we're probably one of the first heavy users of Cosmwasm. I don't, there's, there's a few others, but we're certainly one of the earliest projects to commit to Cosmwasm. Um, so we built, we built the whole directory system in, in Rust. Part of that was for, to, to, just for speed of development. So just so that we could redeploy things on the fly without, without, without having to you know, coordinate like major chain upgrades with you know, validators all having to get together and, okay, we're going to upgrade at you know, block 5236, whatever. Um, but another advantage that it then gives us is the ability to use the credential system from smart contracts, which I think is really, really exciting. So w- what we're planning to do is you can think of NIM as an application uh, that runs as a Cosmwasm application from a blockchain point of view. It's a Cosmwasm application that runs, is currently really the only application that's um, that's deployed on the Nix blockchain. But our plan, uh, which is really in motion right now, is to uh, open o- open up uh, smart contract uploads, so Cosmosm uploads, so that anyone else can also run their applications on the Nix blockchain. Uh, and what you'd get from that is something uh, like there's the same kind of benefits that you get from other Cosmosm chains. So you get um, you know fast finality. Uh, uh, when a block is a block, it's really a block. It's you don't have to worry. You know that kind of Ethereum like. Oh well, maybe maybe your result is in there, but maybe it's not. So you get all of the normal kind of Cosmos features. You get the ability to upload smart contracts and instantiate smart contracts in such a convenient way. So same as you would get from say Juno or something like that, which is awesome. It's super good, and you also get 
a bunch of um, because the the NIM application is already deployed on the on this blockchain. You also get very advanced privacy features. Um, so uh, right now we we're working on integrations between wallets and the Nix blockchain, for example. So you can hide your validator traffic uh, at the network level. But there's also these um, these zero knowledge credentials, this coconut credential thing, the ZKNIMS that you're you're talking to our team about. And what that is, is kind of like, let's say you wanted to, uh, the way, th what we're initially going to use it for is, all right, you want to be able to buy bandwidth from the NIM system. So we use this in, as, as an example, uh, and then we'll, we'll expand it to more generally um, what, what Nix gives to the Cosmos development ecosystem. But it's easier, it's probably easiest to, to use this as a concrete example first. Um, so payment. So you want to pay this system, NIM, uh, to uh, buy bandwidth from the system because, you know, eventually we want to have a paid-for system because that's what's going to make the, make, make the nodes profitable, right? And so our bet is that people will pay for um, privacy-protecting network, network transfer in the same way that they, they pay for VPNs today. Cool. Now, how are they going to pay? This becomes then the next question. Um, well, you could say, well, we, we want to have people pay They'll just they'll just use their credit cards and then they'll uh, like give away all of their like uh, their their home address and uh, all of this kind of stuff and then they'll buy bandwidth. So that would be one way to do it. So cool. That's that would be a pretty mm -hmm. poor way to have a privacy system. So we're not going to do that. So another way would be um, cool. We'll just uh, you can you can buy some NIM tokens and you can you know at an exchange or something like that and then you can just pay by um, putting those name tokens into a contract and then we can check the contract like who paid for this and we can say that the, the system can say oh yeah well that that, that that value is in the contract and we can see that it was you know this person who paid for it so everything is good again there's that there's a kind of like trail through the blockchain and, and like what it that whole um, that whole chain of events basically does um, hurt your privacy probably. So the 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 what what we're going to do instead is you will uh, pay for the the your network access to the to the NIM mixnet by uh, depositing money into a, a smart contract and then receiving back uh, something called a zk NIM or a zk cred. We're not quite we're not totally sure what we're going to call it yet, but basically right. a kind of think of it. For those of your uh, listeners who know what a JWT is, uh, a JSON web token, those that's yeah. kind of like an authentication technology used by Google and Amazon uh, and different uh, Facebook people, people like that, use that as a kind of authentication credential, okay? And in, in, in the case of JWTs, it's not a very privacy-preserving one, but what it does, it says there's a signature inside and it grants you access to some system, okay? What the what the zk cred or zk nim can do is you can deposit your cash in a, your 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 tokens in a smart contract receive back this credential um, which is which is already privacy preserving in that it protects you against even the issuing validator that you're asking um, for it from and then you can do this weird thing and it's really i i find it really magical when when i see it happening you basically take this bunch of bytes which is this credential and then you call a function on it called re-randomize. And the re-randomization, what it does is it makes an entirely new credential that no one has ever seen before. So that in this way, the NIM system can't tell, oh, well, we gave this NIM credential, you know, this, this uh, zero knowledge credential to, to Dave. And therefore, when Dave then submits that, 
we'll just go, oh, well, that was Dave who submitted that, right? That would be a bad thing. What we can do with, the, with this zero-knowledge credential is I get it from the validators and it's like, cool, I've got this in my hand. And then I can call re-randomize on it and it turns it into an entirely new credential that no one has ever seen before. Therefore, it has no link to what happened in the past. And then I can submit that credential to a gateway to get, grant me access to the, the NIM MixNet. I can say, cool, hey, I've, I've just bought, uh, I don't know, five gigabytes of uh, private network transfer. And they say, thank you, cool. They, they get that credential, they validate it, and they can, that acts as a kind of bearer token that they're able to look at and go, ah, that, that, that is really uh, a five, gig, five gigabyte uh, you know, transfer credential, thank you. And they will then institute my account despite not really knowing anything about, about me or anything like that. Uh, and they can basically go, cool. So they can, they can verify that themselves despite the fact that no one else has ever seen this credential before. And that's all through mm -hmm. the magic of zero knowledge proofs. Damn. So it's, that's uh... that's what we that's what we use it for. But um, because we've taken this approach of building the, the the NIM system on top of the Nix blockchain, which itself supports smart contracts, when, when we open up the Nix blockchain, what that will mean is that um, this general general purpose thing, this these credentials, you'll be able to define your own contract logic that will allow you to issue your own credentials, like for your own applications uh, that the validators can attest to and they can say, yes, something is true. Uh, so we, so the kinds of things that we can attest to is, has, has this person uh, put some uh, money into a specific contract or does this person have, um, does this person control account, you know, A123, whatever, whatever, that, whatever that account address is. Um, so mm. we can, we, and then you can write your own applications, um, independent, totally independent of the NIM privacy system on the NICS uh, validators, but you can get these credentials back and write your own applications with those privacy credentials. So in that sense, um, that's the kind of first step that we we want to enable with these. These aren't quite launched yet. They're, we're, we're just in the process of doing the final QA on the key generation process for this, which is an extremely complex operation. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the kind of stuff, the kind of programming that it will enable in the first instance. And then there's a whole roadmap that we can define for getting this out into the wider Cosmos ecosystem as well. I was just about to ask. So the Nix blockchain is not live yet? Or so the blockchain, a, the blockchain some, is yeah. live in the sense that it is running. Uh, it doesn't have, uh, uh, like we haven't opened up smart contract uploads uh, yet. Right. Uh, we need to do that. And we need to do a bunch of other things uh, to, to, with the validators as well over the next few weeks uh, to, 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 to get things fully open. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, we've now kind of passed all the hurdles and uh, that we need to do in order to make that happen. So I'm extremely happy about that. And um, yeah, so once that's open for business, then people will be able to upload their own smart contracts and use it uh, with, this, with these advanced uh, privacy features. Beautiful. And I guess that answers the question also. Uh, we had a few questions from the community, uh, which I'll start opening, opening up for uh, in, a, in a second. Yeah. But uh, a lot of the questions was about uh, how, how do people get their hands on NIM? They can't find it on Osmosis, uh, like the, the classical DEXs. I can see that uh, you can buy NIM on uh, Kraken. 
some centralized exchanges. Yeah, there, Uniswap maybe at the, also. At the most, at the moment, it's uh, it's mostly on yeah some centralized uh, ex- exchanges. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, to be honest, I'm not totally sure why it's not on any of the dexes in the Cosmos. I'm not sure, for example, why it's not on Osmosis. That's something. Um, I, I'm not even sure right now. But uh, yeah, it is available on uh, some some centralized exchanges. Yeah. Yeah, so anyone out there who wants to get their hands on NIM tokens, you can go on centralized exchanges like Kraken or Uniswap uh, and then bridge to, uh, I think you, you use the Gravity Bridge, for example, you can use uh, to, to to bridge over to, to the Cosmos ecosystem. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that begs the question, so being able to upload smart contracts to a uh, network that uh, focuses on security and privacy, I think uh, the elephant in the room, when uh, what immediately comes to mind uh, for a cosmonaut is secret network. So yeah. perhaps you can speak to uh, the difference between uh, between secret and uh, and you guys. Yeah. So I'm I'm not a secret expert. So uh, it would be actually really interesting to to talk to those guys the, together and to to compare and contrast the two systems. Secret, to my understanding, though, uh, is operating at a somewhat different level. They're they're operating with uh, SGX extensions in the in at the at the um, the the kind of at the processor level, like really low level in the hardware. Um, and they are doing private smart contract transactions by taking, this is my understanding, like, a, by the way, don't, nobody, nobody listen to what I'm saying right now and say, wow, this is what Dave said about how secret works. This is just a very like high level understanding here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, of course. But my understanding is that they're using the SGX extensions, uh, uh, the on- secure enclaves uh, of, of um, some chips that are available in order to achieve um, private smart contract transactions. So it's a very different approach than the one that we're taking. Uh, our approach is this credential-based approach. Um, uh, I, I don't know enough, honestly, to compare and contrast like what the advantages and disadvantages of that between the two systems would be. Um, so I, I, I really couldn't speak right now, uh, you know, to, to, to say, you know, here's the trade-offs involved, um, which I'm sure there are some, but I'm, no worries. I, I'm not quite able to, I wish I could say more. It, yeah. No worries. It's a, it's a question that popped up a few times from the community. So, uh, I just, uh. I had to ask, otherwise yeah, I'll get the broadly <laughs> Twitter speaking, on me. Broadly speaking, um, I guess you could say that there's both both systems are going to offer a kind of um, way of doing on-chain privacy or like pri- like blockchain transactional privacy, let's say, in in very different ways. Um, and NIM uh, it gets you an additional thing, which is this network privacy thing. But keep in mind that NIM can be used in non-blockchain situations as well. So it's like uh, the, yeah. the, the network privacy part is a general purpose system. It's not just for blockchains, but uh, yeah. And that I think is quite unique about NIM. And that also what uh, confused me perhaps a little bit in the beginning that this was actually not just about smart contracts. This could Correct, go way yeah. beyond or is going way beyond just smart contracts. Yeah, because I mean, the I guess we're, we're, we started off in, in like targeting a lot of blockchain uh, projects and a lot of a lot of stuff like that, because, you know, that's that's where we are. Right. Like that's our that's our sort of home base. But it is right. a, a project that has as an ambition to basically provide a privacy layer for um, the internet as a whole, like anybody who really wants heavy duty network security uh, should come to NIM because we think we have the best um, 
you know, the best implementation that you can get to, uh, both from a theoretical perspective, uh, like the, the theoretical privacy benefits and hopefully, <laughs> it's my job, the, the implementation is, uh, you know, solid. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned uh, just casually uh, the roadmap coming up. I think a lot of people I can already start seeing uh, the community getting more and more excited about NIM. Uh, so I think that speaks to the the speaker today, you, Dave, uh, yeah. doing a great job. Um, so uh, for anyone out there who's curious, uh, what's what's ahead for for NIM? Uh, how does the roadmap look like, please? Well, so at the moment, uh, the the mixnet is um, let's say starting to breathe. It's uh, the the main problem that we're, that we're we're working on now is to make it easy for other developers to integrate uh, their applications against the mixnet. That's that's one major focus. Uh, so we've we're, we've built a TypeScript SDK. We're having all kinds of trouble uh, making it <coughs> super portable across all of the different JavaScript bundlers and stuff like that. But for the first time, um, you know, the the, the the promise of the of the TypeScript SDK that we're building is rather than you can actually like make a privacy application and instead of having to like you can if you want to run like nim connect for example which is a proxy system it's like a sox 5 proxy that you start on your local computer and you, you can pipe your network traffic through that so that's like a kind of in some ways quite a traditional approach to how we can uh, like practically give people the ability to pipe their um, applications through this mixnet um, more interesting and weirder is and this is something that Tor, for example, can't do at the moment. Um, we've built a, a TypeScript dependency that you can include in your applications, so that you can get the benefits of something like running your stuff through. Well, you can get the benefits of running your traffic for your application through the Mixnet directly from a browser window with no additional um, stuff. So to compare and contrast that with, let's say, Tor. If you want to, you can, Tor kind of defends you at the level of the entire browser, right? Like you, you run the Tor browser usually, and that browse, you have to install the Tor browser, set the proxy up, do all this stuff. With NIM, you'll get better network privacy, but you'll get it by just going to a web page, and then the client will fire up. This is a capability that nobody else has ever done, like in, as far as I know, in the history of the internet. So it's like quite a, it's it's nice. a it's a really new thing in the in the history of privacy network privacy on the internet the ability to yeah. just visit a web page and have your traffic go through the mixnet from that from that um, that web page so that that's on in the process of we're just we're releasing a version of that like every two weeks or something like that right now in order to like make the improvements oh ooh, somebody found a problem over here cool most of the problems actually the basic thing works perfectly the thing that doesn't work is like. I don't know, somebody used some really out-of-date JavaScript bundler and therefore uh, we have to make it compatible with this, you know, somebody's five-year-old thing that uh, it's just a nightmare of, of, of technology. So that's that's one part of the roadmap is the TypeScript SDK. The second mm -hmm. part of the roadmap right now is the Rust SDK for the Mixnet, which is mm -hmm. uh, allows you to compile that directly into your own Rust uh, applications. So we're, as a test bed, I think we're planning to probably... Um, make a fork of the Helios uh, Ethereum um, client actually and try to uh, pipe the traffic of all of Helios through the mixnet before it pops out the other side uh, just as a proof of concept for the Rust SDK. So that we'll, we'll see that. But basically the Rust SDK is actively being worked on, should be released in the next couple of weeks as, a, as an alpha thing and you'll be able to um, compile your Rust stuff against that. And uh, the other huge thing that's coming up besides the, the, the launch of the Nix blockchain 
is the release of these uh, credentials, these zero knowledge credentials that I was just talking about. Um, so that's been a very long and involved process. Uh, the, the process of doing distributed key generation for a threshold signing of uh, zero knowledge credentials, you can, you, without, you don't have to understand the details. There's so much jargon in that sentence that you can imagine how hellish it would be to build that, but that will be coming out probably in the next, uh, I'd say three weeks or so. Um, cause I can see that uh, we've just gotten that all, all of that stuff into our quality assurance process right now. Um, and at that point, we will be running with these zero knowledge credentials, um, producing uh, these creds in a kind of decentralized way. Um, and at that point, that will become the point at which it will become practical to start thinking about people building their own applications with these zero knowledge credentials. So that's really exciting as well. I feel like I can just listen to you, Dave, for hours and hours, but uh, you've been super generous with your time. One question, though, from the community that yep. uh, I have to ask before we uh, we close this thing off yep. is uh, how do people get involved? I know you have uh, multiple grant schemes that you are opening up for. People are, I can already see on Twitter, and it's, it's firing up. Uh, people are super excited about this now that they hear about it. I think you guys have been under the radar for quite some time, at least in, in the Cosmos uh, ecosystem. Yep. So, uh, yeah, how do people get involved? Yeah, so so if you want to run infrastructure, there's a there's a a grant scheme for that. If you want to, if you want to write applications using this technology, there's a set of grants for developers, and uh, there's an academy program to that you can go through that will teach you how to do all of this, um, like in, do these kinds of integrations, and uh, become part of the community as well. So if you go to the uh, NIM website, you can check it there. Uh, you can also join the Telegram channels for NIM, which is again linked from the website. Uh, there's a um, yeah, we have our community people who are like watching all of our channels all the time. And um, yeah, that's uh, th that's probably the best way. Or just talk to um, at NIM Project on Twitter, which is the account I'm talking from right now. Beautiful. Dave, thank you so much for joining today. This is uh, super exciting and uh, Godspeed to what you guys are building and working on. This is something that we all need, <laughs> whether we know it or not. This is uh, only going to be a bigger problem uh, as time goes on. Cool. Thanks for thanks very much for having me. It was really an enjoyable chat. And for anyone who wants to re-listen, uh, obviously this is being recorded, so you can re-listen on Twitter. But uh, we also upload the episode on the Spotify, YouTube, etc., where you can uh, follow the Cosmos Club. Thank you so much, Dave, for joining, and uh, hope to see you soon. Thank you very much. Take care. Ciao.